Let's pause for prayer, shall we? Our Father, we are grateful this morning as we gather on the Lord's Day for worship. We count it a blessing and a, a real joy and privilege for us as your people to gather as we have done this morning. Uh, we thank you first and foremost that you have made it possible by giving us a, a good measure of health that uh, we can be able to gather as we have done. We thank you for this wonderful blessing bestowed upon us. And so as we gather in this way, we lift our voices, we lift our hearts to you and acknowledge how totally and completely dependent we are upon your grace and your mercy. We come as a needy people and we look to you to meet our spiritual needs first and foremost, that you will be pleased to speak to us from your holy word. Thank you that uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we pray, dear Father, that in this hour, you will so bless your word that as, as it is spoken to us, it will come to meet our spiritual needs. Grant that our eyes will be opened, that our ears might be able to hear the voice of that loving shepherd, the Lord Jesus, speaking to us individually so that we might be corrected in our ways, that our thinking might be renewed according to your word, and our hearts would be encouraged to love your son, the Lord Jesus, to love his commandments and to be willing to put into practice everything that he commands us to do, that we might become more and more like Christ, that our lives might be fruitful, that we may be able to see the fruit of your spirit working in us in increasing measure, that those who live with us and live around us, may they be able to see something of the grace of God at work in our own lives. So we thank you then for this Lord's Day morning when we gather for worship. It's a day in which we seek to receive mercy and grace to help us in our times of need. We pray then that you will now come to us and lift your word out of its sacred pages and making it a living reality in our understanding and in our experience of it that the Holy Spirit will powerfully apply this word to us and cause us to be transformed, to be changed, to be like our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We ask these things in his precious and holy name. Amen. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke and chapter 11. And we read from verse 1 up to verse 4. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. 
Uh, he was praying, and the he there is the Lord Jesus. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. Uh, I don't know how long it has been, but finally today we will come to the end of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we will be dealing with that statement, do not <coughs> lead us into temptation. Uh, we have been engaged in a series of studies in the Gospel of Luke, then in the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is indeed the disciples' prayer, the, the prayer that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in answer to the question by one of his disciples, teach us to pray, and he shows them how they are to pray. <coughs> now, one of the things we have already noted, and I would like to remind you about, is that everything that the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, everything that he tells us are things that God's word promises and teaches for instance, if you think about the beginning, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Bible again and again tells us or teaches us to honor the name of God. That is something that the Bible teaches. And this really is what New Testament praying, if you want to put it that way, is all about, that we are to go to God's word and see what God has said to us, and those are the things that should inform our praying as we seek to pray together corporately as the people of God, as well as individuals in our homes. We bring to God the things that he teaches us. Your kingdom come. This is, in fact, what God has been working out in history. It is to bring about the kingdom of God. And that should be our interest, that we want to see more and more of the kingdom in our own lives. We want to see more and more of the kingdom in our congregation. And finally, we want to see the fullness of that kingdom finally come when God wraps up history and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy, returns. And then when we seek God for our physical needs, give us this day our daily bread, it's because once again, we not only recognize that God is our source, but we recognize that God has promised that he is going to supply. 
He is going to provide our needs. That we are to be reminded that the lives that we live here on earth, you know, we, we did not sort of apply to God and say, you know what? It may be a good idea for me to be born on earth. You know? Don't you think? And then, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I'll, I'll make sure that you are born on earth. No. It is something God, in his sovereignty, without consulting you or anybody else, decided you were going to be born. And because it was his decision, he also made provision for you. And so when you are asking and praying that God would give you your daily bread or give us our daily bread, it is in light of what God has promised. So everything that you can think about in the Lord's Prayer, you can find specific promises that the Lord has made to his people. And that is why the art of biblical praying is going to God's word and saying to him, this is in fact what you have said. This is what you have promised. Fulfill that promise. Glorify the name of your son. That this which you have uh, uh, promised in your word comes to pass in the lives of your people. That God will meet our needs. God would provide for us both physically as well as spiritually in such a way as to glorify his name and to magnify his word, the promises of God that he has given to his children. And the last of those petitions that God, the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples and through them teaching us is that one, lead us not into temptation. Now, in that prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ is asking us, as we think about the future, and as we live our lives in this world, that God would so provide for us, so that as we meet temptations in this world, that we will be prepared in heart and mind to be able to resist those temptations and to stand and live a life that brings honor and glory to God. That's the reason why he's teaching them to pray. And sometimes when we are gathered for a prayer meeting and, uh, you know, we ask for prayer requests. There are times when, you know, uh, people aren't very sure what it is that they, they want to give as a request for prayer. And, and this morning I want to suggest to you that this is something that you really need to think about. As you think about tomorrow, as you think about next week, as you think about next month and years, as you really think about the future, that you pray that God will such will make a provision for you spiritually that you will be able to stand 
when you are tempted. That God would give you grace. That when you face temptation, you will overcome that temptation. That you will not give in to that temptation. That you will glorify God. You will glorify the Lord Jesus by living a life that is worthy of the gospel that you believe. Now, do you know, the people of the world, they like to speak ill of God. They say things that are wrong about God. But perhaps there is no better opportunity for them to speak ill of God as when they see a Christian who falls into sin. They'll say, aha, this is what we always tell you. These guys are hypocrites. So even if there may be 99 Christians who are living a holy life, just having one of them who falls momentarily will give them occasion to insult the name of God, to speak ill of God. And this is why this petition that we are considering this morning is absolutely vital for us as Christians. Because, as the Apostle Paul writing to the uh, Romans has said, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And what he means there, he says, is because of your hypocrisy, because of your double standards, because of the fact that you have yielded in and given in to temptation and done that which is wrong. So it's absolutely vital that we make this our earnest prayer. We make this something of real concern when we pray for one another. When, for instance, we leave this place and are going to visit another state or another city, that we pray for one another that God will give you grace wherever you are. God will work by his Holy Spirit in you to give you the presence of mind that when the hour of temptation comes on you, you will be able to stand and bring glory to our Savior who died because of our sin, was raised from the dead, and the Bible says, is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he is pouring intercession for his people. So remember, if for nothing else, for the fact that the people of the world love it when a Christian falls into sin.
And the first thing I want to share with us this particular morning then is to look at the examples in the Bible of people who in the light of temptation have stood. So we look at the positive examples and then we also look at the negative example of people who have given in. And perhaps there's no better way to start looking at the biblical examples of men and women who have stood in the light of temptation. And to think of the three Hebrew boys in Babylon. You remember, those three Hebrew boys, they have been commanded to worship the stature that the king had created. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said, we cannot do that because we will be sinning against God. And there was everything around them that was calculated to induce fear in their hearts and minds so that they can give in to that temptation that was right there before them to bow down and worship the idol. Now, you know, they actually told them, you don't have to worship the idol all the time. Just when you hear the music, you know, you can just do it for a short time and, and then continue your religion as if everything is normal. And they said, no, we, we cannot do that. Because God, in his command, has said, we are to worship him and him alone. We, we can't worship anything or anyone else, even for a single moment. We cannot do that. Because God demands absolute loyalty from his people. He wants us to be committed completely only to him and to no one else. Do you remember how they continued to sort of induce fear in them? The, the, there was a furnace of fire that was awaiting. Uh, and they said on this particular day, it was heated seven times more. In fact, they said the people who died are the ones who went to turn on that furnace. So it was a, a real fearful event. And God, by his grace, worked in the lives of three Hebrew boys that they respected the king, but they respectfully declined to sin against God. And they said, it's not a very difficult thing for us. You know, we will not bow down 
to his idol. Our God whom we worship is able to deliver us from your hand, O king. But he might not deliver us. It might please him for us to glorify him by burning in the furnace. So even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, O king, we will not bow down. Bible says the king was absolutely mad. Here are these three insolent Hebrew boys. Who do they think they are? I am Nebuchadnezzar and I'm going to teach them a lesson they will never forget. So they took them and they threw them into the And the one who was taught a lesson that he never forgot was in fact the king himself. Because when he looked into the fire, there was the appearance of the fourth man. <coughs> and then he says to his people, did we not just throw three people into the furnace? Now look, it says, there's a fourth one. And his appearance is like one of the gods. And the scripture says when they brought them out of the furnace, there was not even a smell of fire on their bodies or clothing. Because they stood The hour of temptation, they stood and resisted the temptation to sin against God. And God was pleased to make a decisive intervention in their lives, and their lives were spared. And that was the end of that idol in that land because the king then became the greatest evangelist for the God of Israel and he said nobody should speak a word or anything against the God of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego if you do you are going to face my wrath because there is no God who delivers like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then you remember Daniel in the lion's den. Again, he was a man who was under pressure to worship an idol. In fact, it was really a trap that those men who were unhappy with Daniel set up for him, they, they were looking for some occasion by which they could accuse him before the king because they thought the king loved him. 
and favor him. And so they were looking for a way to destroy that relationship between Daniel and the king. And as they thought and thought, they discovered, no. The guy is morally upright. I mean, you cannot fault him. If our plan is going to work, it can only work if we find a fault with his religion. So then they conspired and asked the king and said, sign a law which says, no, for 30 days to come, nobody's going to worship any other god except you. And the king says, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> See, don't I look like God? Let everybody worship me. I'll sign that one. And that's how he signed that law, not recognizing what the men were up to. Before long, they found Daniel, who is seeking the God of Israel and looking to the true and only living God. And then they had occasion to accuse him before the king. And then when the king realized what's going on, it was too late because he's already signed the bill without reading the fine print. <laughs> they said, you already signed the law, sir. The man needs to be thrown into the den of lions. And Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. And once again, God in grace was pleased to preserve the life of his servant Daniel because the lion just had no interest in Daniel. They said, this is not the type we eat. That's not the kind of meat. No. And so, until the next morning, the king came. He's really, really in trouble. He's wondering, has the God of Daniel <coughs> rescued Daniel? So he cries out there with a real cry of desperation, Daniel! And Daniel is not at all in desperation. He's at peace. Because those who are at peace with God will be at peace even in the face of whatever danger you can bring before them. You remember Stephen. The Bible says he was being stoned, but he was peaceful. He was loving. He was caring. And he prayed for the people that were stoning him. Right in the throes of death. And that's exactly what happened to Daniel. He says, don't worry, O king. The God of heaven sent his angels and they have restrained these creatures against their nature. And quickly, the king gave command and Daniel was out of that den. <coughs> he was a man who was faithful to his God and refused to give in to temptation even at the pain of his own life. 
the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us that that is what we should be praying for. That God would be working in our hearts. The Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts and prepare us to say no to sin, whatever the consequences will be. Now, thankfully, we see these positive examples in the Bible that are very encouraging to us. God has recorded that history so that we can see how he has worked in the lives of his people in the past and be encouraged. But we also have those negative examples, if you like, of men and women who in the hour of temptation have succumbed and failed. And he has recorded those so that we might have a sober outlook that we live in enemy territory. And there is real danger that we ourselves, if we are not committed to using the means of grace, might find ourselves failing and falling into sin. And the example that I want to give us today has to do with a rooster. Is the rooster crowed? You remember that story? And he had said, I am prepared to go with you, even if it means I'm going to die. The others can even run away. I will not leave you. That's what Peter said. You remember that? And the Lord Jesus Christ tapped him on the shoulder. Be careful. Not even tomorrow. Today. Today. Before that rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And you know, it wasn't the soldiers armed to the teeth who came to Peter. It says it's a girl. A girl came to Peter. You know, you look like a Galilean. I think you also belong to him. And he says he with curses. It means he, he, he was invoking a vow. I swear to you, I don't know this man. And then the crowd, the rooster crowed. And the scripture tells us that he was broken. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Remember how the Lord Jesus Christ had warned him. He says, pray that you may not enter this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is referring to. This is how you prepare for the hour of battle is on your knees, seeking God 
asking for grace, asking for the Holy Spirit working in your life to give you the presence of mind that when the hour come, you would be able to say no to sin. Even if it means losing your life. Now, secondly, we need this prayer because we have an enemy. The Bible tells us we have an enemy. A powerful enemy. A relentless enemy. An implacable enemy. Who is determined unless hindered or stopped by God is determined to destroy our lives by causing us to fall into sin. We have an enemy. A crafty enemy. A cunning enemy. A subtle enemy who is determined to bring you and your entire family down. He came to our first parenting. Did God really say you cannot eat from the tree? Really? Did you hear? Is that what he really said? You know, I, I just want to let you know that he does not have your interests at heart. There's really nothing wrong with you. It's just a fruit. Why would he of all things say don't eat it? is a fruit that will make you wise. And he's never given up that strategy. He will come to you often and say, you know, not a big deal. You can do this just once. You can do it. I mean, isn't God Gracious? <laughs> Is he not forgiving? Surely he will forgive you. What kind of God do you think he is? He is a merciful God. You can just go ahead and do it and then ask him for forgiveness. And then once you give in, then you turn around and say, you see, you are not a Christian. Look what you've done. God cannot forgive you. A while ago, he said, you can do it. Now he turns around and says, there's no hope for you. 
he's a crafty enemy. And he intends, unless God hinders him or stops him, he intends to do you harm. But also secondly, even as Christians, we have remaining sin. The reason why the enemy of our souls oftentimes is successful is because he has an ally within us. Remaining sin. Indwelling sin. That oftentimes breaks out into actual sin. And what is even worse, beloved brothers and sisters, is that this world is littered with people who once made a profession of Christ, but they crashed and burned. You remember the story of the Pilgrim's Progress. If you have never read that story, I can encourage you. I think that there are a number of free e-books on the internet which you can download and read. It tells at some point there that the Christian, as he was moving, he found skeletons. And you know what that means? Pilgrims who crashed and burned. Christians who made a fair profession of faith in Jesus Christ because they did not recognize that this is enemy territory. They crashed and they burned. And what are we to do then as Christians? Well then thirdly, the Lord Jesus Christ encourages us here to use diligently the means of grace that God has made available to you and to me. The resources of grace that God has made available to us. That's the reason why God has made you part and parcel of a body of his church you will gather together to encourage one another. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. That's the reason why God has given you pastors and elders that they will be able to counsel with you and pray with you that God will give you victory over sin in your life. The primary way in which we receive future grace to keep us from falling is prayer. And that is why it's absolutely vital for you as an individual Christian to have to be committed to seeking God in prayer. To look to him, to cry to him daily that he will prepare you for battle. Prepare you for this hand-to-hand -hand combat 
with your own sin. The Holy Spirit will wake his grace in your heart and mind, transform you in such a way that you truly are against sin. Not just in other people, but against sin in your own life. It is easy for us oftentimes to have an ego eye of the sins of other people. Yet we don't see our own sin. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, this is a hand-to-hand combat we are engaged in. And we need God's grace, God's favor. That's the reason why you meditate upon God's word. That's the reason why you pray for understanding that your mind is illuminated to understand God's word, to see how you can apply it in such a way that you can stand against sin. You can grow in grace. You can be sanctified, become more and more like Christ. We need to seek God in prayer. I don't know if you are aware, but that little phrase there, deliver us from evil, has been a subject of contention for centuries. What does it mean? Does it mean that if God does not answer that prayer, he is now abandoning me to sin. James chapter 1 says no. No one should say when they have been tempted that I have been tempted by God because God does not tempt anyone. Everyone is tempted when they are led away by lust. However, when we read that verse, do not lead us into temptation, some Christians in the past have said, no, that means that testing, means temptation, (coughs) solicitation to get you to sin. That's what we're talking about here. But what the scripture means there then is the God in the mystery of his sovereignty allows us to be tempted. And he allows us to be tempted for a variety of reasons. The first one, reminding us of what it is that is in our hearts. You know, oftentimes we think very well of ourselves. 
that's what Peter was doing. He was saying to the Lord, you know, I, I really love you. I, I don't know about the others, but I'm speaking for myself. I love you. And I'm prepared to die with you. I mean, these guys, if they run away, I will be there. And the Lord said, well, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something that you don't really know about yourself. From a little girl. There was Peter. Making a vow that he does not know his master. Exposing that weakness. That's there so that we recognize that we are totally and completely dependent upon God's grace. To live a life that pleases God. And we should give thanks to God that God's grace abounded to Peter. He is restored and he maintains his apostleship. Have you ever thought about if Peter lived today? Would we have been willing to forgive him? Would you have been willing to restore him? To continue to be an apostle? We probably think that some of us would have written him off. The guy is, uh, is fake. He's a hypocrite. But the Lord, in his amazing grace, reached down to Peter. says, I have prayed for you. And he was restored. Now, it has been customary for the church, and I think you may have heard this at some point in your life, that we say that God sends trials, and it's the devil who tempts us. Uh, now, that's true. But it is also true that when trials come, they also bring peculiar temptations. Sure. You remember a man called Job? I mean, he, he had incomprehensible trial. And then his wife said, yeah, the thing for you to do here is to curse God and die. So there was a trial. And then within that very trial, there was a very real temptation. Curse God and die. Once again, the Bible says, Job did not sin. Or you remember David being pursued by Saul and he's hiding in a cave and then suddenly he is Saul who comes to relieve himself. And the men say, ha, here is our moment. Here is the guy. He, we just need one blow and he's done. David was under a trial. He's running away from Saul for no reason. Here is a temptation 
to kill Saul. David, by God's grace, has the presence of mind, says, no, we can't do that because he is the Lord's anointed. God will deal with him in his own time, in his own way. So often, when there is what we call trial, there's always a temptation. Or if you think about Joseph, have you ever thought about how Joseph was able to resist Potiphar's wife? The very fact that his brother sold him. Can you imagine what that must have meant to him? And David, brother Joseph, must have been crying out to God, why could you allow a thing like this to happen? And the Bible says God comforted Joseph. He knew God must have a purpose in this. And he was at peace. He knew, I can't understand what's going on, but I know somehow God is in this. And he means well. came from Potiphar's wife, he was ready because he'd been praying all the time when he was under that kidnap, being sold as a slave. He'd been crying out to God for help. And by the time the Bible says Potiphar's wife was, it wasn't once, you know, she was constant every day. And every day, David said, no, I can't do this. It will be seen against God. It was that same providence being hated by his brothers, being sold. That is the providence God used to cause him to pray, to cause him to cry to God. To be ready for temptation. Um, I'm going to end on a very positive note. First Corinthians chapter ten and verse thirteen. It says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. Now, that's the promise you must bring to God in prayer every morning. Lord, grant me grace. This is what you have promised. In other words, what the Bible is telling you there, you will never have an excuse wondering, no, I, it's a temptation. I, I could not. No, that's not true. 
not true. You are lying to yourself. Believe God's word. God has made a promise. He is not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. That is his promise. In the intricacies of that temptation, God is right there with you in his grace to enable you to overcome it. So that you will be able to stand and bring honor and glory to our blessed Savior and Redeemer who gave his life for us and he is working in your life working in your soul so that you can give your life for him for his honor for his glory it doesn't matter what the consequences are to be may God be so gracious in your own heart and life as far as sin is concerned, you will say, no, I cannot sin against God. I do not want to sin against God. Even if it means you have no friends. Even if it means you'll be ostracized. They'll be laughing at you and mocking you. Or even if it means you will die. May God grant it. May he answer your prayer that you will stand and refuse to sin. That's the Lord's prayer for you. May God grant that all those that hear my voice this morning will so love the Lord Jesus they will not want to sin against him. Remember what he has done for you. He paid the ultimate price. He gave his life over in death to rescue you from your sin. <coughs> Remember that hymn that we sing. He gave, he gave his life. What have you given Oh, the words of Isaac was love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. It's a serious business, friends. The Lord's Prayer, not just words that you repeat meaninglessly. God is teaching you to seek his grace that in the evil day, in the expected hour, in that dark corner when you are alone, by his grace, you will stand and not sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a sympathetic high priest. And he says he ever lives to care for you. And when you have failed, He's not going to cast you away. But you will return to him in humble repentance, seeking forgiveness and asking his grace that you might be able 
live for him, to stand for him, to glorify Jesus. Let us pray. A gracious Father, as we come to the end of our sermon this morning, we feel our own weakness and sin in our hearts. But we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the sympathetic high priest who was tempted in all points and yet was without sin. And he gave his life for us to rescue us from this present evil age so that we might live lives that are worthy for his honor and for his glory. We thank you for your word. Bless it and seal it to our hearts. May Jesus, our Savior, be honored and be glorified. Because we ask in his precious and holy name. Amen.